0: you are listening to the bridge community church podcast out of warrenton virginia our church exists to connect you to god others and the marketplace for more information you can visit us online at bridge the number four life.com thank you for listening and we hope you are blessed by today's message We're continuing on in a series called the Need for the Supernatural. This is the message I actually started last week, but only got about a third of the way through. So if this is new to you today, go online and listen to, because I got to pick it up a little bit where we left off. I'll do a little, uh, a little intro, but you're going to have to go online and catch a lot of what I said last week, but we're going to at least start with the scripture that I read last week. So everybody read with me. And the Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. You have never heard His voice or seen His form, nor does His word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one He sent. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The Holy Spirit we invite you into the, into the arenas of our mind and our heart, because we're here to be influenced by the activity that you continue on the behalf of Jesus. We pray that you will show us new dimensions of your activity and possible horizons that you have in store for our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Lord bless you. you and be seated. So I'll do a little bit of what I shared last week, at least to get us to the position of picking up the message that I began on this part of the series began last week. But one of the things that I've been saying over and over is this: Why are we doing a series on the supernatural? What's the need for it? Well, basically, is this because in the Christian movement here in the United States, we have what we see is I call it a de-supernaturaliz- de supernaturalizing the Bible. And the faith. In other words, Christianity is more now just about principles and values. But we really don't expect God to do anything. We certainly don't expect supernatural things. And even if we think it was supernatural, we probably could take some time and explain why it wasn't supernatural, that it was more natural. So one of the things that I have as an opportunity as a pastor, I get to know other pastors of other, not just, we're in the Assemblies of God, but I say pastors even outside the Assemblies of God. And some of those relationships move beyond what I would say just the typical, how are you doing? How's your day? How's everything at the church kind of a thing. You get into some dialogue. We are aware of our differences doctrinally, okay? It doesn't become a war and we're not contentious with one another. But it's interesting to say, hey, how did you arrive at this point in time in ministry where you are? Why do you believe what you believe? Why did you align? There's a number of denominations out there. It's interesting. Why did you align yourself with this particular denomination? How did you find yourself there? Okay. And you begin to learn about each other. And I'm, let me just say this. This is a positive conversation, positive illustration. Okay? This is not about I'm not attacking anybody. Listen, I don't want to attack other preachers anymore than I want them attacking me. Okay? But I'm just telling you a process that, that uh, unru- or is, is, is rolled out in these, in these conversations. And certainly, I'll get, so why do you believe in the supernatural? You know, isn't it a little awkward when you pray for it and it doesn't happen? How do you handle that? Blah. And, and, but the dialogue is also the other way. So why don't you believe in the supernatural? I'll ask them. And here's what happens. This is, this is pretty well a standard answer. Okay? I'm, I'm paraphr- but basically, this is the arena. Many spiritual leaders desupernaturalize the Bible because they have not experienced the supernatural themselves. And they just feel, how can I preach about that when I've personally not experienced that? I've asked for it, i sought it, I, I... I, I was in positions of where I, I needed God to do something, and it didn't happen. I've prayed for people, nothing happened. And so they just said, you know, based on experience, I had to kind of shape my theology and just pull it back in and go, well, you know, it would be hypocritical of me as a pastor, they say, to preach something that I've not experienced. I'm like, well, that's interesting, okay. So here's something that I often say in, in, in for, to be considered. I never say, well, let me rebut that. Well, that's like setting up a fight and an argument, you know. I said, well, hey, let me, let me ask you this. And I will just tell you what, I'll just tell you the illustration. I said, listen, you know, I've, I've, I've bought Chinese food. I love it. I've even bought a product or two from China. I can go on my internet news and I can read about China. I've even met people who say they're from China. But did you know that I've actually never seen China? I've never experienced China. I mean, I've seen the photos and seen them in the news and I've met people from there. I've had their food, bought their product, all this. But you know, I can't say I've actually been to China. I've never experienced China. So does that mean it's not real? You see, we have to be careful that somehow reality is defined only by all my experiences. And if it's not in my bag of experiences, then it's not real. Does everybody follow? Yeah. We have to be careful that we aren't the litmus test personally for, what, for all the things that are out there. If I haven't experienced it, if I haven't seen it, if I haven't touched it, if I haven't tasted it, then it's not real. I would say this. If he's God, then there should be some things that are beyond above and beyond my ability. I don't think I can experience everything that God is. But that doesn't mean there's no God. Y'all with me? We have to be. Now that doesn't mean I can't experience God, okay? But I have to be careful that just because maybe I didn't experience something with God that it's no longer real or it's no longer available because we all can encounter other people who have. And so we all are on a journey of growing and developing. So I just say that's one of the elements. Just because we have not experienced it doesn't doesn't mean it's not real. It could be very, very real in spite of all the experiences I've had in my life. So we read this scripture, last week I unpacked it but let me, uh, uh, in great detail, but let me touch on it briefly. Jesus said to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. He is basically criticizing them for saying this. You represent a supernatural God to the people, and yet you've never experienced the supernatural. How do you do that? You've not heard his voice? You haven't seen his form? Okay, His word's not even in you, and yet you... You are saying that you represent the supernatural God to people, and you've never delved there. In fact, he says, what you've done is this. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that you, in them you have eternal life. He's saying, you've turned this into an academic exercise. You think, you think knowing God is about, is about a book, is, a, is about study, is about academics, and it's about personal relationships. So Jesus is really the one that opens it up and says, hey... My my father, he's a supernatural father, and he expects to have supernatural interactions. So I've been using the story of Peter in Acts chapter 10 and then also chapter 11, where Peter has this supernatural encounter, and he meets with a guy whose name is Cornelius, a Roman centurion. In Acts chapter 11, he's called into account to the, to the church authorities, his other apo- uh, apostles, And they just want to kind of know, like, how in the world can you be doing this? How can you justify ministering to this individual? So let's contextualize this. Cornelius is a centurion in the Roman army. The Roman army was a very brutal army. At one point in time in the history of Israel, there was an uprising, and the Romans, to make a statement about not doing these uprisings, it says they crucified 6,000 people on crosses and they lined both sides of the road leading from Jerusalem and there was mile upon mile upon mile. And the statement was not just to the Jewish people, don't ever do this again. It was also to the rest of the world that was under their influence, you don't mess with Rome. This is what happens when you rise up against us. So here's, here's, here's Cornelius. Cornelius he's a part of the occupying army and peter now talk about a contradictory statement peter goes to cornelius's house to bring salvation how do you do that with someone who's in that type of army and in today's vernacular this would be no different than the ukrainians inviting the russians into their house for dinner right Hey, can we just call a peace treaty while we have a meal together? My house, 6 o'clock. And you guys can pick it up tomorrow. You would just go, no, there's no way that's going to happen. They're just not going to do that. That's, that's insane to do that. But that's what Peter did. And now how many know? Now you know why he got called in and said, you need to explain your actions. How could you do this? Okay? Not, we have a field to reach. But I, we don't understand you going to that house and doing what you did. So basically, Peter has to unpack what's happened. He, he appeals to how the experience came about. And so we're going to look at that further. And I want you to note the various elements that Peter references when he's trying to describe God's supernatural activity with these Gentiles. So let me touch on the three very quickly we did last week. Number one, it says Peter was praying. Let me just pause. All supernatural activity generally begins with prayer. Sometimes people will say to me as a pastor, I just don't ever see God doing anything. I say, well, how's your prayer life? Well, it's probably lacking and it's not what it needs to be. I said, well, there's a start. You're asked. You want the activity of God, and you're not even talking to Him. And they go, oh, I guess I never really... I said, I know, I just... It all begins, you've got to be talking to God. Okay? So we see that. Number two, it says that Peter fell into a trance and saw a vision. If you're new today, that probably scares you, so go back online and listen. I explained all that last week. I can't unpack it today. So... It's more normative than you think it is. Number three, it says Peter heard a voice. I just lost a group of people on that. What he heard a vo- oh yeah he heard it more than once. What does God sound like when He talks? Why don't you go back to listen last last week's message? I unpacked it there too. Okay, so that's where I left off last week. So wh- what else did Peter experience? In order to know that this was definitely, I don't know about you, those three things alone, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm in. Right? I mean, trance, a vision, and I'm hearing your voice. I'm like, well, we're, and you know, God like totally went over the top to make sure that Peter understood this was him. And Peter's explaining the overwhelming evidence to his fellow apostles about. Let me tell you, this is not just God told me, let me tell you what happened. I mean, it was overwhelmingly God. So, number four, everybody read it out loud. Peter, so while Peter is having this trance and then a vision and he hears a voice, he goes downstairs and there just coincidentally happens to be three guys. So, some people would say it was coincidence. God brought three individuals to the house to confirm that what Peter was sensing in a trance and a vision and then a voice was being confirmed by the fact that there was a divine appointment waiting for him downstairs. And he didn't even know they were there until he went down. Now, here's the thing about those three individuals. It would have been very evident that they were Gentiles. Because they were representing Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, there's no question that at least one of them would have had some type of military appearance, that it would have been very obvious, okay, because he's representing the centurion, right? At least one of them, if not all three, would have some identification that when Peter walked into the room he knew exactly who he was dealing with not the name so much Cornelius but he would have understood yeah these aren't normal visitors and some people would write that off to coincidence what are the chances and you go yeah yeah like what are the chances it almost makes you sound like somebody's working a plan you know a lot of times people fail to understand how much occurs through their day, that is a divine appointment, and they don't understand it. In the right places, at the right time, with the right material. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor back in Indiana, and one of the local hospitals had ordered a whole series of supplies. And they were doing, uh, some of the supplies was related to, their, to the uh, uh, bypass surgeries associated with that, with that type of surgery. And there was one very special size. It was an abnormal size. It was the largest size that they would make. It was—I forget what it was called—but they would use it in a bypass. It was very a very unusual request. Somebody screwed up the order and ordered this abnormally large piece that was needed for a bypass surgery. But you generally never ordered that unless you knew you had a had somebody specific. And somebody was trying to figure out who had been responsible for ordering. The only thing you, know what you can come up with, somebody threw it in the box. And they said, Well, it's too much to go through the trouble of trying to return it. Let's just notify them that we've been the recipient it. Put it on a shelf. Who knows? A week later, my friend, who was a pastor, had a heart attack, went in, they looked at his heart, and he had this abnormal size of his artery where they needed to do a bypass, and they said, we generally don't have those, the things that we need for this type, he is possibly going to die, and somebody in the room says, you're not going to believe this, but we actually got that last week. (laughs) And the doctor said, you're kidding, and they go, no, 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 it's on the shelf, let me run back there and get it, and they ran back brought it out, saved his life. Oh, what a coincidence. <laughs> what are the chances? Really, you, you buy that. Hmm. See, I look at it from the other point. Sometimes God knows what we need, and he, he just makes it happen. And even when we try to trace down, well, who threw that in the box, and why isn't that on the shipping list, and yet it's in here, and do we send? You know, you, God just has a way of saying, you know, Just take it and receive it. Coincidence. No, they're divine appointments. It's amazing how many. Have you ever wondered how many divine appointments that God used to protect you? If you'd have been a few seconds earlier, you might have been involved in something you didn't want to be involved in. It could be anything from driving to walking down the street. It's just amazing how God can coordinate our schedules, and we just miss something. That could have been devastating divine appointments the people that cross our paths five seconds earlier I'd have missed them five seconds later I'd have missed them but but there we are and we're having a and they weren't on my they weren't on my schedule didn't know I was gonna have a conversation with that person didn't know I was gonna see him didn't know the conversation was even going to be developing in the way that it did the ability to recognize divine appointments that God sends our direction So, number five, this this is in the same spirit of what I just said, but read this out loud. Peter responded to the supernatural With with increased obedience. You notice I'm leaving Acts chapter 11 where he's telling the story and going to Acts chapter 10, which is the actual story, because there's something critical here. It says, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. These are Gentiles, probably in appearance, like I said, at least one of them having a military identification, and the protocol would have been this. Peter should have said, hey, um, we can't head out until tomorrow, so you guys are welcome to go down the road. There's an inn. (laughs) You can stay there, and we'll leave. Why would Peter have said that? Because they're Gentiles. They can't stay in his house. And already, Peter is beginning to pick up that God is moving something here. And instead of sending them down the road, Peter invites them to stay in his house. He treats them as guests. So what I want you to recognize is this. this. This wasn't new to him. This is something that Peter had put on the shelf and was ignoring. Because he walked with Jesus. Peter had watched Jesus minister to the Gentiles. But it wasn't till now that Peter began to obey the teachings and examples of Christ. Remember a centurion came to Jesus saying, I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus said, I'll go to the house. And then he sent word and said, if you're a man of authority like I think you are, You don't have to come to my house. If you say the word where you are, my servant will be healed. And what was Jesus' response to that centurion? I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Boy, don't think that didn't upset a few people in the crowd. How dare you validate the faith of our occupiers? How dare you do that? So Peter had all these references of Jesus touching. Remember the Samaritan woman? I mean, we could talk about many different stories. Peter had this. He knew Jesus was not selective in just ministering to Jews. He also would touch Gentiles. What was Peter's response once Jesus ascended to heaven? He he just didn't go to the Gentiles. And so God has a way of bringing it back around, and here we are. And Peter, listen, Peter's starting to read this and go, I'm pretty sure Jesus wants me to put him up tonight. Because here's the thing, I'm going to tell you something about yourself, you and me. Sometimes we don't obey the teachings of the Bible until it's backed up by the supernatural. Oh, it's not that big a deal. And then God does something supernatural and we go, well, looks like God's bringing it to my attention. It's the same way here. Peter thought, well, I can select the teachings that I'm comfortable with. I'm just not comfortable with Gentiles certainly not comfortable with these Romans and then God supernaturally says well I have a way of making sure that you don't dismiss my teachings and he provides them with a supernatural content so I say this the supernatural we always think is something God's gonna give me a testimony well sometimes the supernatural is God correcting you not only was this a testimony but in this you have God is correcting Peter because he has already put God in a box that God belongs with us. He is not here for the Gentiles. And he had a background where he saw that Jesus said this was for the Gentiles, but, but Peter just said, hey, I'm just not comfortable. If I, can I just tell you right now, if you're comfortable, Jesus' teachings is designed to take you outside your comfort box and take you to new horizons and stretch you. I mean, that's just part of the. That's how it worked. And sometimes it is a testimony, but it also is a challenge to us. So Peter got challenged by this, and he knew I can't send these guys down the road. I know that I can't. I'm I. Peter already knew where this was going. Sometimes we can see the activity of God and we're hoping God changes his mind before he takes us all the way Nah Number six read this out loud Peter experienced The confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. I'm gonna read the scripture and then I'm gonna go back and explain it The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. This is interesting. Cornelius sends three. So Peter takes six. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> so you know, just kind of like, what was that about? Uh, I don't know if Peter was on edge, but he, he just felt that he needed six to go with him. And again, I think it says this. Peter sensed that God was about to break a paradigm that the church thought was normative. And he knew I can't explain this by myself I need witnesses so he took six with him now we go back to this the spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them see that's another one of those phrases that almost kinda makes us go "Oh, I hate it when people say God told me or the spirit said or because what happens is this most of us in this room have encountered a person who abused that statement. In other words, they said something and you made some sincere inquiry. And as you made your sincere inquiry, that person went on, they started getting defensive. And so they kind of felt desperate and it was like going to a deck of cards, where's the ace, take the ace, God told me. I mean, what are you supposed to do with that, right? If, if, if they say, God told me, you're, you're like, well, if that's like trying to get me to become compliant with what they're saying. Number two, it's also, if I say, well, I don't think it was God, I think it's your lasagna speaking to you from last night. <laughs> now I'm becoming judgmental of their walk with God, and now that's going to create a chasm between the two of us, so I'm sort of stuck here. I don't want to give just approval because I don't sense that it's totally right. But on the other hand, I don't feel like there's a, By playing that card, they're basically saying, I have no right to correct them. And so you're stuck. And then we watch sometimes these things play out, and what they said doesn't play out, and you want to go back to them, I told you so, but you can't. Okay? And you're like, I don't understand why they had to bring it to a head like that so quickly and allow no more conversation and so then we start shying away from anybody who even uses that phrase and yet peter said the spirit told so let's look what does the word told mean okay comes from get this it comes from the greek word lego you will never play with your children's legos we all know you really bought them for you <laughs> your children were just a good cover for you to go buy those Legos right I know who you are out there it means to bid it means to put forth it means to ask so he literally felt an urge to go like literally something is saying you need to go you need to do this listen Many of you in this room have had divine urges you were just afraid to call it a divine urge. You saw something happening and literally it was like something inside of you said you need to step up and help there and you need to do something now. You normally wouldn't have. But what you saw and it was like a voice was speaking to you, step up, help out, get in there, do something. You know what to do, help them out, help the situation. Get in there. And you do. And I always go, so what was that voice? I don't know. Maybe it was was how I was raised. I mean, everybody's got these exit ramps, so they never have to say the word the Spirit told me. Because, well, now everybody's going to treat me weird. So we'll deflect it. No, let me tell you something. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit can do just the opposite. I think some of you identify with this. You've been in context and said, and you you literally felt the an urge that said, you don't want to step into that, back away. It's not that you were, you weren't afraid, but it was literally a voice saying, Don't step into that, back off. Don't go there. Your friends may say, Hey, let's go to, and you something said, You don't want to go with them tonight. You don't want to go there. You do not want to do that. And you just went, hey, you know what? I'm good. Appreciate the invite. But uh, I've got other things I want to do this evening. Listen to me, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Saying don't do that. But again, we're afraid to use those verbiages many times. So here's the thing that I want to answer at this segment. So how do we protect ourselves from being deceived? Self-deception is the worst thing that can happen to you, where you deceive yourself. You tell a story that's not true, you believe something that's not true, but you believe it's true because you told yourself it's true. Self-deception. So it's like, how do you, pen- how do you guard against being, being deceived? And it's this. Number one, the Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not what? So the first thing that can influence divine urges inside of me is putting God's word inside of me. So you so the key to being involved in God's word is this. It's having God's word in me is a corrective mechanism so that when an urge shows up I go, "Yeah, that is of God because I can think of something in the Bible" or you go, "No, no, no. I've read enough of that word and I know enough of that word to go and God would never tell me to do that." That is that's me, not the, not, not the Holy Spirit. So you use the word as a corrective mechanism inside you. So, here, so here's the big challenge of divine urges. God's activity is perfect. How many would agree with that? Amen. So here's the challenge. God's activity is perfect. But he sends it through imperfect people. And while we're all being perfected, no one's perfect yet. And so that's number one should keep us in the Word. Number two, it also keeps us humble, because you go, God, I would never want to do anything to embarrass you. I would never do. I would never want to do anything that hurt the cause of Christ. I would never wanna do anything that, that disillusion somebody about you and what you're capable of doing. God, I, I, I would never wanna do something that later on I found out, oh Jesus, that was all me. and You weren't in it and now people are hurt. That's the thing that keeps you humble. Knowing that God, it's very important for me to do it right and do it in alignment with your word because I would never want to be the thing that disillusioned somebody and then walk away. And they're citing something that I did, and I did do that. I don't want that. See, keeping that in mind keeps you humble. Keeping that in mind keeps you hungry. I've got to keep the Word in me so that I recognize when when a divine urge is God. By the way, there's three sources of urges. There's my flesh. God doesn't have to help it. The devil doesn't have to help it. My flesh will run astray. Okay? Secondly, there is demonic urges. Okay? And third, there's Holy Spirit. I need to know that Holy Spirit. I I have a, it's easy for me to tell the difference between the Holy Spirit Spirit and the demonic. What really gets confusing sometimes is, when is it the Holy? Because we love to justify the urges of our flesh. Oh, come on. I'm not just confessing. You are too. I can see it on your face. Okay, That's the struggle. When is it me? When is it God? So let me tell you. So Here's another way to counterbalance yourself. Psalm 7-4. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because of how they translate this, this can be read and understood two different ways. Some people read it this way, which is not the right way to read it. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, if I'm happy with him, he'll give me whatever I want. No. That's not what that's saying. What it's saying is this. Take your joy in the Lord, and he'll change the desires of your heart. He will give you his desires for your heart. Does It make sense? So part of this, it goes back again to stop telling God how to make you happy. you need to say you wired me you created me you know how to make me happier than i could ever dream god give me your desires take anything out of me that is not your desire and give me the desires that you want me to have because those are desires will take me places in life that i could never dream of those desires will take me so give and again That's how it, so it comes from the word. Putting yourself, by the way, isn't that what Jesus did? He quoted the scripture when he was tempted. He had demonic, he had demonic temptation coming at him. And how did Jesus fight it? He countered it with the word. He knew those were demonic urges that the devil was trying to give him. If you will this, if you will that, if you will this. And he recognized it. This is demonic, and he countered it with the Word. That's how we do this. Okay, number seven, read it out loud. Peter learned about... ...in other people. Sometimes it's good to be have the mindset of understanding who Peter is talking to. He's going, he goes to Cornelius' house. Now, I've said they're the occupying army. This occupying army has been responsible for a lot of atrocities. Whether Cornelius participated in it or not, we don't know. But we just know that Cornelius is a part of the army that is committing the atrocities. And he's not just a foot soldier, he is a commander. And it says this, this is what Cornelius says. He, meaning, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, he will bring you a message... Through which you and all your household will be saved. This pagan had a conversation with an, with an angel. God, you can't do that. What are you? Can you imagine Peter as he's standing there hearing this going, Great, I can see myself explaining this to the brothers in Jerusalem? Cornelius just didn't see an angel, he conversed with it. Let me tell you something. You might be surprised who God has in your arena of relationships who have had divine revelation, and they don't know who to talk to. I can guarantee you, the New Testament church had written off people like Cornelius as not possible to be saved. And even if God showed up, there's no way these guys are going to respond. They're too far gone. Judgment is reserved for people like that. And Peter discovers there's an activity of God happening in a household that he thinks is a lost cause. How many people are in our life that we think is a lost cause? And Jesus is talking to them. Well, they should give me some sort of indication. (laughs) Wouldn't that be the easy thing, right? But the point being is this. that tells us then, it goes back to Peter prayed. See, God show me your activity because I got a feeling you're working in arenas and in people's lives that I've already written off. That I think are unreachable I think they're untouchable I've already written them off God and they're having experiences that I haven't even had angelic beings showing up and they're having a conversation let me get can I give you I'm gonna be giving you two dangerous prayers to pray today can I give you the first one right now hey God if your angel shows up to talk to any of my family and friends Feel free to drop my name. Isn't that what the angel did? He told us how it says, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. Well, now there's a divine appointment you can't screw up when an angel gives you the name of the person and where they're living, right? Hey, God, feel free to use my name. If if you're revealing yourself to somebody and they aren't going to know what to do with that revelation, I'm volunteering. Drop my name. I'll talk to them. You have no idea who God's talking to in your arena of life and in your sphere. And here's the last one everybody read it out. Peter saw, he saw new dimensions of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read this and then I'm going to backtrack it and break it down. It says, as I began to speak, this is Peter, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I'm telling you, that is so loaded. Let me break it down. Number one, do you see his appeal to Scripture? He said, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice the appeal. So he's all. He's got angels, he's got a trance, he's got a vision, he's got divine appointments. He's, got, he's like, do you, do you all see that I was not in charge of this visitation? There, there was a current that was beyond my ability to control. I just, went. it wasn't just one thing, it was a series of things. Secondly, he says this, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. This is interesting, because we're so often say, well, you know, we need to lay hands and pray for people. And I, I'm okay with that. But that, the, you notice God didn't follow protocol? Peter's talking, now get this, the Holy Spirit came on them as he's teaching them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Here's the thing, how did he know the Holy Spirit came on them? okay. So I know there's another part of the verse that I need to finish reading, and it clears a lot of it up, but let's just pause at that moment. How did he know that as he was talking, the Holy Spirit came on them? We can't keep going forward into Acts, and we can't keep going into Paul's teachings because those hadn't been written yet. So the only thing that Peter has to reference is everything that has happened prior to Acts chapter 11. That's all he knows. So he says the Holy Spirit came on them. There were only three things that we see in the scripture that when the Holy Spirit showed up three things. There was tongues of fire, there was the sound of, of like a mighty rushing wind, and it says they spoke in tongues. Those are the three, those, that, that's the only thing they have to reference that the Holy Spirit came on people. Now, stay with me. I'm positive if it was tongues of fire, he would have wrote about it. And I'm pretty sure if it was a a sound of a rushing wind. But he does clear it up. He says, as he had come on us at the beginning. What was the beginning? Acts 2. Peter's teaching and a Roman centurion starts speaking in tongues. Now that'll mess your theology up. I'm sure Peter's watching it, going, "You, God, you, you can't do that." <laughs> do, do you see the insignias that are on the guy's uniform here? Are you kidding me? You're, you're gonna let God. His soldiers are speaking in tongues now. You can't do that. Because that's what it says. It came on the whole household. Okay. and, And then he was reminded of the Scripture, and notice what he says. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Peter is basically saying, I didn't even agree that they could have it. I told them about it but I wasn't like you know I wouldn't lay in hands and I was just telling them about what's I mean but I wasn't like offering it <laughs> who was I to think that I could stand in God's way we don't, we read here that it doesn't even sound like Peter was preaching with fervor he was just giving them the academic tour of Jesus's ministry and the academic tour of the Holy Spirit But it doesn't say here that Peter really had any faith and he actually believed anything was gonna happen. Can I wrap this up? I said number one, the risky prayer. Feel free to drop my name, God, to anybody that you're revealing yourself to. I'll tell them. And the number two is this don't give me what i'm asking for god give me what you want me to have see by by asking him for what i want i've already put him in a box hey god i want everything you have if that means that then i'm open to it but i'm through saying give me this I'm saying give me this, and I don't even know what I'm asking for. Just give me anything and everything that you intend for my life. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous prayer, but I can tell you this, you will not regret it because he has things in store for you that you never thought possible, and everybody said amen.